Hi everyone, welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host Sharad Lal. This is episode 23. Negative chatter weighs us down. I'm not good enough. I should have saved more. I should earn more. I should be more patient with my kid and so on. Often these thoughts keep going in circles without resolution. They add to stress, anxiety and other mental health problems. Now we've all heard of mindfulness and meditation that helps us calm the mind. But that's not for many of us. We live busy lives with multiple activities. Adding another activity on top of this, even if it's for removing stress, actually ends up adding more stress. So how do we manage this mental chatter seamlessly in our life? In today's episode, we meet Geeta, who's struggling with this constant mental chatter. Through her story, we look at a good framework to understand our thoughts and five simple mental health tools to manage chatter. These are simple tools that don't involve meditation or mindfulness. Any of us can use these and find some peace in our lives. But before getting into this episode, thank you to you listening for your generous support. Please do consider leaving us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you in advance. For today's episode, we've referred to Ethan Cross's book Chatter for mental health tools we refer to later. Back to the episode. Meet Geeta Geeta was born in India. When she moved to Singapore 15 years back for higher education, little did she know that this place would become her home. Today she's married, has a 5-year-old boy and balances her career in an exciting startup with motherhood. On most mornings at 7 a.m., you'll find Geeta running along the river. This was a recent habit developed during COVID. It gives her energy to be present with her boy's need and excel in her career. Off late, however, things have been stressful. She's had to go back to office almost full-time. and business travel is back with a bang all over southeast asia she finds herself on the edge last night after a hard day's work she came home to her son who was intent on troubling her he threw his food on the ground took her phone away threw it in the toilet and kept trying to provoke her in some way or the other geeta had already had a bad day her patience was running low she lost it with her son she got so angry that she screamed at her son like never before she almost hit him this was not the first time Geeta's been shouting at him a fair bit of late. At night after putting her son to sleep, Geeta felt shameful and sad. The innocent eyes of her son, shocked at how his mom treated him, kept haunting Geeta. She couldn't sleep all night. She realized she'd been running on full throttle for the past few months. She hadn't slept very well. She'd stopped doing her morning runs and was overwhelmed. Her mind was in constant overdrive. thinking planning stressing pickups dropoffs coordinating travel with her husband difficult boss challenging timelines anger guilt unease and so many other emotions she can't drop anything everything is really important what should she do this is a good time to reconnect with the stoicism concept of taking control of our lives stoics believe that we need to be in control at all times One might think how can I take control of my life I can't even control all the demands on me I have to look after my son and I really want to I have to work we need the money I need to do travel late nights that's part of the work and of course there's more friends family so many things that I want to do just to live life the stoics lived in the real world they understood that we have many demands on us to live and thrive in this world and that's fine while we cannot control these externals We have control over the internals. We can control our minds. We can control the stress we go through. We can control the negative thoughts, the rumination, the mental chatter. 
the multiple demands in life are often achievable, but it's this negative chatter that drains our energy and debilitates us. For more on stoicism, please refer to episode 6. So the key to allow ourselves to live to our full capacity is to manage the accompanying chatter. Reduce it. How do we manage the mental chatter? The starting point is to understand the chatter. What are all these thoughts about? Often they seem innumerable. Order the print cartridge, buy my son's Halloween costume, prepare the deck for the CEO visit, put my son to sleep and so many other hundreds of things. But in reality, only a handful of thoughts occupy most of our mind space. Typically, our top 10 thoughts occupy 90% of our brain space. And these thoughts are mainly negative and repetitive. It's the same few thoughts that we keep ruminating about, going in circles without moving forward. So this mental chatter that stresses us out, debilitates us, is caused by a few half-baked thoughts that keep playing in our mind repeatedly. A great tool to identify these thoughts is called the top 10. As the name suggests, it's identifying these top 10 thoughts that are sapping us. Listing down our top 10 makes the problem of mental chatter finite and manageable. After the night of no sleep, Gita took the next day off. She dropped her son to school and went to this new cafe at Botanic Gardens. Sitting outside overlooking vast expanse of tropical greenery, she ordered herself a big breakfast and a smoothie, made herself comfortable and started reflecting on her top 10. There was so much on her mind, words kept flowing. She just let them out and wrote whatever came up, no filters. It soon became lunchtime. She kept going. She later picked up her son in the afternoon, already feeling a lot lighter. But she wasn't finished. There were still many unresolved thoughts in her mind. Over the next two weeks, she continued to reflect on her top 10. Wrote down a little bit every day. Finally, she had accurately captured her top 10. This exercise not only helped her understand her thoughts, but also helped in uncovering insights, understanding patterns, and was an outlet to so many repressed emotions. The first thought she uncovered was the pursuit of perfection. This wasn't something that only troubled her for the last six months. Instead, it's been with her as far as she can remember. She wanted to be the perfect friend, the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect employee. And when she slipped even a bit, her critical negative inner voice would taunt her. What kind of a mom are you? You can't even drop your son to school in time, even if it was just two minutes late. Or you're so inconsiderate, you forgot a friend's birthday, even if it wasn't a close friend or she was swamped with work and other pressure. Most of her mental chatter around juggling, planning, multitasking, guilt was towards the ideal of perfection. Nothing could go even slightly wrong. This put too much pressure and stress on her. In this context, Gita connected with a story from her childhood. Back in India, when she was nine years old, her father was hospitalized for a year. During that period, her mother single-handedly took care of the three siblings, the house, the finances, and also supported her ailing father. Later on, during her college years, she realized what a superhero her mother was. Putting her grief aside, she smartly and responsibly handled all the affairs of the house and did so with a kind, gentle energy. All the kids got so much love during that period that they did not even know it was a stressful phase. That was the day Gita got inspired to be like her mother. Immensely capable but also loving. A go-getter hustler but also present and grounded. While this was a powerful inspiration, it put huge self-inflicted pressure on Gita and has been the major source of her stress and mental chatter ever since. 
The other thoughts were the usual suspects, boss, husbands, parents, money, job security, etc. Outside these usual thoughts, there was one thought that really stumped Geeta. It was the level of obsession with a random friend's Instagram account. She followed a school friend who posted every day, sometimes even twice. Even though they hadn't spoken for 20 years, were never really close. Nor was this person an influencer or a celeb. Her posts triggered Geeta. Her posts that attempted to show the perfect husband, kids, work, holidays, even though it was a poor attempt, caught a reaction out of Geeta. Geeta was totally shocked that this random girl occupied so much of her mind space that she was one of her top 10 thoughts. Now this top 10 thoughts exercise was very useful for Geeta, but she realized that as life moves forward, more challenges and complexities are bound to occur. Problems are not going to go away. Geeta had a tool to be aware of the mental chatter. Now she needed tools to manage this chatter, to calm them down. She didn't like meditation, mindfulness and the new age stuff. That wasn't for her. Nor was she inclined to therapy or coaching or anything like that. She was just looking for some simple, practical tools that seamlessly fit into her life and bring her some peace. Let's look at what happens to our brain with all the noise and stimuli around us. At any given moment, we are bombarded with a lot of information. Attention is what allows us to filter out things that don't matter. There are two types of attention, involuntary and voluntary. Involuntary attention is subconscious. It's like when we turn to a loud voice without thinking. Voluntary attention is concentrating and consciously putting our attention on a task. That's how we live. Thinking, planning, executing. All this requires voluntary attention. When there's a negative thought in our mind, it hogs all the attention. It steals neurons from the other tasks and makes us focus narrowly on the source of distress. With very few neurons left to do the other tasks in hand, our capacity to get anything done reduces and our attention blurs. As a result, we are stressed and unable to get too much done. If we carry on like this over a period of time, we get depressed and burnt out. With this simplistic neuroscience context, let's look at five tools to manage the mental chatter. The first tool is eliminate attention sources that trigger us. In Geeta's case, it was a friend on social media she barely knew, but she paid attention to her every day and got distressed. She decided to unfollow her. This way, she eliminated the problematic source of attention. It was easy to do as she had no dependency on this person. For us, we could do an attention audit to see all the sources of attention that trigger us. Out of these, what's not important in our life? What will have minimal effect if we eliminate it? Maybe it's people or situations that don't matter. All we can do is simply remove them from our life. If they aren't important, they shouldn't be causing us distress and hogging our mind space. The second tool is spending time in nature and open spaces. We all know how being in nature makes us feel good and replenishes the soul. But beyond the fresh air, nature does wonders to our brain from an attention standpoint. In an experiment conducted on patients recovering from surgery, half were put in rooms facing trees, whereas the other half faced a brick wall. The ones facing trees recovered quickly and were emotionally resilient as compared to the others, even though they were just looking at nature and not within nature. This is because nature draws our involuntary attention and not the voluntary attention. Nature has subtle properties, soft fascinations. This does not need concentrated, focused attention of our senses. Therefore, there isn't too much load on the brain and attention does not get hogged up. Over time, it rewires the synapses to less negative thinking. 
This was the reason Geeta was able to do deep thinking in botanic gardens. Now she's thinking of getting back to running. And what's even better, she's thinking of running within nature. So that gets both the endorphins flowing and gives her break from the voluntary attention. The third tool is as simple as referring to oneself in the third person when we speak to ourselves. Instead of saying, I binged on chips, felt bloated and then got angry with myself, we could say, Sharad binged on chips, felt bloated and then angry with himself. Give this a try on your own. You will notice that the same words when said in third person don't sound nasty or critical. This is backed by data. Research shows that we are far more critical to ourselves versus anyone else, even a stranger. Just think about that for a moment. We are more forgiving to a completely unknown person and not ourselves. In the previous example, someone else binging on chips and getting angry with themselves is a fairly common occurrence. No big deal. But if I binge on chips and get angry, I feel the negative emotions. So just this act of referring to ourselves in third person creates tremendous self-compassion and reduces the negative chatter. This technique falls under the umbrella of distancing techniques. Distancing techniques are those where we put some distance between ourselves and our thoughts. We don't identify with our thoughts. Instead, we observe them. That's the premise of mindfulness. So we can get the benefit of mindfulness without being a mindful practitioner. Another distancing technique is looking at a situation from a vantage point like a fly on the wall versus being in the situation. The fourth tool is normalizing. When we are in the middle of our problems, our egocentric self constructs a picture of the world that's restricted to just us and our problems. In this narrow zoomed-in world, every small little thing seems big and upsets us. If we can zoom out and see others around us and really notice them, we realize that everyone has problems. That's part of life. It's normal. We haven't been singled out. Even if we feel isolated dealing with our problems, many others are isolated dealing with their problems. This makes us feel both connected to others as well as view our situation as normal. Then we can go about just doing our stuff without too many negative thoughts. Another technique of normalizing is time travel. Think of our future self, five years from now. How will our future self view the problems we are struggling with today? This was a useful exercise for Geeta. Her future self would not really bother if five years back she missed out on putting her son to sleep a few times because of travel, or being a little abrupt with a co-worker, or forgetting to return a friend's call. These small stress points in a pursuit for perfection would not really matter in the long run. The fifth tool is talking to the right people. Talking to others is known to help get troublesome thoughts out of our heads. But have you noticed that sometimes when we talk to others, we come back feeling worse? If that's you, you're not alone. A survey of 9-11 victims found that those who shared their feelings and thoughts with others didn't feel better. On an average, they felt worse than people who didn't talk about it at all. Why does this happen? It's because of a concept of co-rumination. Often people we talk to build on our negativity. They dump their own experiences, they make us feel foolish, they provide unsolicited advice. As a result, our bad state becomes even worse. To avoid co-rumination, we need to find the right people who both empathize with us meeting us where we are and can help us problem-solve to move forward. Here are a few ways to seek out the right help. We can have a diverse pool of people to go to versus one go-to person. This way the individual biases get evened out. We could talk to different people for different topics, 
some people for relationships, some people for work, etc. We can talk to sensible people outside our social circle, people who aren't present in our life. We can talk to them freely and it's easier for this person to give objective feedback. And lastly, we can always use the help of experts, therapists and coaches. Back to Geeta. It's been a while since her journey started. She still uses the various tools to manage her stress. Surprisingly, she's opened up to mindfulness and even goes to a therapist. She never thought she would. Interestingly, working with a therapist, she revisited the image of a mother's perfection and looked deeper. In that small town that she grew up in, they were part of a very closely knit community of 10 to 12 families. When her dad was hospitalized, this community, which was like a large family, took care of everything in the background. Dad's business, hospital admin, house admin, money, food, shopping, etc. With the confidence of their support, her mother could focus on the kids and her dad. And she wasn't always calm and collected. Often she'd needlessly shout at her elder sister, at the help, even at her brother. Gita never got shouted at. But this helped her realize that her mother wasn't the picture of calmness she imagined. Instead, her mother displayed a trait that was even more powerful an inner resilience creating a safe space for the family during this adversity. They all felt safe and loved. That's how Geeta has reframed the inspiration in her mind. She will build resilience and be the pillar of safety for her family, no matter what adversity life throws at them. If any of this resonated, here are a few action steps you could consider. Listing your top 10. You can find a peaceful place with one or two hours to spare and do this exercise. This need not be as extensive as Gita, but even by reflecting for an hour, you'll be able to arrive at the top thoughts causing mental chatter. If this exercise is useful, you could consider doing this every six months. You could also consider incorporating any of the mental health tools we discussed. An attention scan to eliminate unimportant sources of attention that bother you. A daily or weekly walk in nature. Referring to yourself in third person when you're being self-critical. Zooming out, looking at the big picture and normalizing your situation. And creating a pool of people you'd want to talk to for difficult situations. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Consider listening to episode 3 and 4 on managing everyday stress if you'd like to go deeper on this. The next episode will drop two weeks from now on September 13. I hope you join me for that. Wish you a wonderful day ahead. Bye-bye.